Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today, I welcome Lisa Levy to the podcast. Lisa is the founder and the CEO of L-Cubed Consulting and is the number one best-selling author of the book, Future Proof and Cubed. She also guested on several media outlets, including NBC, ABC, CBS, just to name a few. In this episode, Lisa and I discuss, is having better technology the first answer to scaling your business? And the answer is, is a resounding no. This week, we'll be putting more emphasis on the people side of the business with Lisa and why founders need to prioritize it above all else. You'll learn how you can build a stronger, more customer-centric business by tuning into this episode today. A couple of the key topics we talk about are the people component is still essential despite technological advancements, how to make your superhero employees feel valued, how to incorporate company DNA into your team, the sacred sequence that startups need to know, and that's all startups need to know, plus a lot more. If you like this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, tune in, and share this podcast. Thank you for listening, and now, on to the interview. Hey, good morning, Lisa. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Brett. Thanks for inviting me. Ah, no, definitely my pleasure. Definitely been looking forward to this conversation. But before we get into it, why don't you give the audience a little bit of a, a background on you, what you're working on these days, or you should say you and your company are working on these days. It's pretty interesting stuff. Absolutely. So I am Lisa L. Levy, the founder of L-Cubed Consulting author of Future Proofing Cubed, The Definitive Guide to Increasing Productivity, Refining Processes, and Bolstering Profitability. The L-Cubed team is working on or working with our clients, helping them align so that they can grow and scale. Okay. Awesome. And one thing I've noticed, and you can help maybe shed some light on this, is that authors use their middle initial a lot. (laughs) Is there a specific reason for that or is it just a trend I'm picking up on by... It's it's to distinguish us, right? If somebody goes to Google, actually, if you Google Lisa Levy, I'll tell you, you know, here's the really awful story and everybody, you know, go and Google this. But Lisa Levy in the late sixties was a victim of Ted Bundy's murder spree. So it's hard for me to distinguish myself. So the L is important. It also ties into the name of the company L cubed and set the kind of that hook for future proofing cube, the power of triads and threes. Oh, I love it. Not the, the the backstory, but it makes sense. Google, once they pick up on the news items, it's hard. That makes a lot of sense. And Yeah, news uh, and history. So it's... Yeah. And I do like that L-cubed. That's awesome. So maybe that's a great place to start. I mean, why did you write the book? I mean, I've got a little bit of the background, but just love to hear it from your standpoint, how you came from consulting to, you know, I'm going to write a book, best-selling author and still doing the consulting itself was formed, we're about 12 years old. And I came up in my career in IT and project management and really working with teams to get things done inside of companies. As my experience grew and my perspective matured, I realized that you know there's a really powerful equation for driving results in business. And it is aligning people process with technology. And in the IT world in the 1990s, everything was very technology centric and the technology was going to solve all of the problems, but we forgot that to solve a problem, we had to define the problem. So as I built 
project management offices, I started bringing in the skills and capabilities around process performance or the Six Sigma skill set. And we started to get some better results because we started looking at process and then the technology. And over time, I you know, realized that, okay, understanding the process is great and having it defined and repeatable so that it can be automated by technology is an advantage, but people are still at the front end of this. And so we started looking at organizational change and making sure that people understood their roles and what they were doing today, how it was gonna change and what the future would look like. And then things started to get a little bit better. In large corporations, there are functions designed for project management, for process performance, for organizational change, right? They're verticals. In smaller businesses, you don't have the luxury of the money to staff that, and you don't need all of that. So with the L-Cubed team, we created what we call adaptive transformation, and we take those capabilities and we go horizontally through our client organizations, running engagements that have you know, specific projects for specific results, but we're teaching project management, the importance of process and process efficiency, and how to take people on that journey so that we take away that resistance to change that is just inherently part of being human. Yeah, no, and that's so, so true. And I'm glad you actually touched upon, obviously, to your core, the, the people side of it and my career between startups and enterprise and working in larger enterprise organizations. You know, it wasn't until I got into management consulting and actually worked with somebody in our change management practice. You know, it's kind of like, ah, you know what, it's the process. I agree with you, technology is not a silver bullet, but you know, until we got into that process, we're leading them through a transformation, realized how critical the people component of that is. And, you know, I owed a lot of people apologies for my years and then I'm doubting, but I just didn't take it as seriously as, you know, it needs to be. So I'm glad there's folks like you out here really kind of preaching and talking about this. I think that the discipline is gaining traction, it's gaining momentum. I think I would equate what organizational change management is going through right now is similar to project management in the 90s in technology. It's like, oh my gosh, we get it. It, it makes a difference, it, it has value in it, and it's impactful. But people have to learn and they have to experience it and they have to see the results. And so, yes, I think you know, when I talk about our cornerstones, as much as my background really is in the project and the process side, as I'm moving everything forward, that people component is the major impact. It is that major shift because not only does it take you through a project of bringing something new in, the very foundation of it then is the sustaining beyond the introduction of something new and adopting the change sustaining it over time so that you don't go back to what was once comfortable. And so I personally right now am preaching that it is the most powerful piece of what we do in adaptive transformation. Yeah, hundred percent. And, you know, we shared a little bit about backgrounds. I also spent some time with, you know, mid-sized companies and how they do want to change. They may not have the resources more adaptive to it. And I know you spend a lot of time there, but really one of the reasons I want to have you on the show is to help, you know, some of these startups are just getting started. Mm -hmm. the name, <laughs> you know, kind of incorporate the, the change management, the people component into the DNA of the organization, if it's possible, because it's 
kind of be in a constant state of change and some people flourish, some people don't. So I'd love to get your perspective on if I'm a new founder and maybe I've got one or two folks, but starting to bring people on, you know, some advice that you'd have or the best way to get started, you know, thinking about it. Absolutely. Because if it is baked into the DNA from the beginning, right, it becomes more, becomes part of the culture. And corporate culture is the single strongest driver within an organization. We can all talk about our metrics for sales and operations and all of those things, but really, right, culture drives making those things happen. So for a smaller company that is, you know, that in that truly in that startup mode, right, the reality of constant change is pretty natural. We live in it, we feed on it, and you know, all hands on deck, everybody's doing everything. And those acts of heroics are what make a business startup go. Right. There reaches a point in time where you need to you know, start to operationally stabilize, and you, know, you were saying starting to you know, add some people. Great. Keeping in mind that core group, right, has a vested connection to the overall business that is very, very personal, right? Adding people starts to add the potential of fear of change of, oh my gosh, I have given my heart and soul to make this happen and I am no longer as valuable as I was. So talking honestly and always being able to communicate to the what's in it for me idea for each individual who's impacted is the simplest way to build that foundation for embracing change over time. I say it's simple, but it's not necessarily easy. Yes. Right? The idea of being upfront, being transparent, we use these words all the time, but actually saying to you know, John or Sue, you have done these amazing things and you are valued for them. We are bringing in people to help with that because now I need you to do something amazing over here also, but I don't need you to do it all because nobody can do it all. And that is those first growth cycles, right? Acknowledging the value and the contribution and then you know, what that change is, why it's important to the company and what's in it for them as individuals helps them understand where they're going and their continued value to the team, the group, the, the company as a whole. Startups move fast and sometimes we forget to take that pause and right. really, you know, call it closing a communication loop. And you know, as a founder, it's all in your head. It makes perfect sense. But if you don't say the words maybe three times, people don't necessarily get it. And so that's that one thing just be clear, repeat it, and reinforce it. Yeah. And I think that's such a good reminder. I've had a number of founders when I talk to them about scaling their business. So they've taken it from startup to 10 million. And a couple of the time, Tessa Court of Intelligence Bank was talking about how she started when she started moving from generalists, right? So you had the unicorn employees that could do everything. You could plug them in anywhere. All of a sudden, now we're starting to specialize and you could feel that those employees' value was maybe being diminished, even though it wasn't. It's natural to feel that way. And, you know, kind of lessons learned as you move through it, I think is exactly what you're talking about is these are still some of your best folks. <laughs> and how do they not feel marginalized or minimalized once you, you start to grow, right? Right. And then, you know, as a founder, right, going from 
1 million to 2 million, 2 million to 5 million, 5 million to 10 million, the capabilities that are going to make those individuals successful in the growth cycles changes over time. The heroics are less valuable going from 10 million to 15 million than they were going from 1 million to 5 million. True. Okay. Right. And so understanding then that process or that journey, let me use words more carefully in that journey, when is it that you have to take people being, you know, heroes of wearing their Superman capes to having processes that are documented, defined, trained, and understood so that any person with the right basic skills could go in and do that work. And that isn't diminishing that original hero's value proposition. It's memorializing it. It's highlighting it, right? Make that a, you have done such a great job. Now we can have three people doing what you used to have to do. And you're going to do this next thing. That next thing we also need to keep in mind if we're really planning for big growth cycles, maybe learning fundamental leadership and management practices. Startup group may have no actual background in running a business and they need, you know, you want to continue to grow them into potentially your ultimate C-suite, but they may not have the skills and the knowledge on how to do that. And so capabilities needs to grow with the company and the capabilities in, you know, in each area and operations and accounting and finance along the way you're going to bring in to your point, the specialists who have the experience, but there are others who you want to grow with the company. Right. And we can't as founders just assume that that happens by doing some of that is training coaching. Some of that is teaching. And if you don't have the skills and capabilities yourself, finding people, you know, on a shameless plug like me, who right. can come in and, and bring your people through that experience and seed in those capabilities that are going to have that long-term success for you. Yeah. Rather than many companies, and I'm sure Brett, you've seen it, right? The people who start it, sustain with it for five years. And then sometimes those people who in, you know, year one were the superheroes no longer have a place. Well, that's shame on us for not bringing them along with their growth to get there right. and stay there. No, that makes such perfect sense. And in a good segue too, because some of the more recent podcasts I've had out, we've talked about the process piece of it. And Mark C. Winters, you know, the co-author Rocket Fuel talks about, you know, the visionaries and the integrators and integrators to me comes back into the execution, right? So now you've got somebody that's thinking about, all right, how do we keep the business starting to grow and scale? And I think that actually feeds, you just talked about the people side, right? You've really got to be aware and help bring those folks in and the founder may not have that skill set. The integrator may not have that skill set, but I think it's a good transition into what if you can address and should address the people side. Now all of a sudden you are going to start to integrate process into your business and not only just put the process in, but the management and the change in those processes that you just can't say, all right, here's the six steps you're going to do. You know, wash your hands, we're moving on. So maybe that would be good, you know, get your perspective too, as you're starting to grow and put process in and look at the projects that you're going to have without overwhelming a founder. What's, you know, again, going back, I love the idea of the DNA that you talked about. Let's, how do we start building this capability as we grow? 
you know, what is your recommendation on how to, to start thinking about that? And two, how do we start to build it early on within the organization? The first easiest step, and this one literally is easy. I'm not minimizing it. Have people write down what they do, right? Just have a 10-step checklist of these are the things that we do to make something happen. So, you know, in process geeky language, right? We have inputs that we need to do our job. We do things, our work, and that is an output that drives something else in the business. The ultimate output is that product or service that goes to our customer, but every person has a part in that, that they need something from somewhere, they do something with it, and it becomes something else. My outputs are your inputs. Right. Right? They move the system. If we just start with having a basic list of the things that I do every day, or every week that make things move forward, we can start to see very simply where there might be activities that are happening that don't add value. Geeky language, we would call that waste, right? We're wasting time, yep. energy, and money. But really, right, there's just things that we started doing, maybe in the you know, first couple of iterations of the business, it added value, but over time, what we need changes. So if we just can track a list of the work that's being done, what we need to do each job and what we put out to that next step, a founder kind of walk through a day in the life of his business, his or her business, and see what's going on. And then as a founder, the most powerful question that we can always ask is, you know, why do we do this? And it's not a judgmental why, it's really an understanding, you know, why is this step happening. And if we can get to an answer why we have to do this because it creates that next thing that adds value down the stream, great. If the answer is, and this is my personal favorite answer, it's the way we've always done it. Yep. There's probably some waste happening there. There's probably an opportunity to rethink what's happening to be more effective, to be more efficient. And I'd almost guarantee it not to interrupt you. You say probably I'm going to be nice, I think. <laughs> I will put my little you know, a dollar bill on that one, right? You know, when I hear the phrase, it's the way we've always done it, it's guaranteed there's an opportunity for some yeah. level of improvement because, and founders who are maybe in the first couple of years of your businesses, I will put my little dollar on this one too. Somebody in your company will say it's the way we've always done it, even if you've only been doing business for six months. Right. <laughs> that that mindset starts really early and it's human. It's very human to get into a pattern of doing things and having that repetition adds a sense of security. And so it is a very powerful phrase to hear and go, hmm. I wonder what we really should be doing here and, and investigate that. Yeah, no, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I agree with you, especially if back in the day when I was leading workshops for larger companies right around process, process improvement, one of the things that always tried to get them to see was take the people out of it and just think about the tasks and the activities that has to happen to get it through. So you get right the two pieces, the activity you do internally well, what is that causing to the customer as you do it? And then once you can figure out what that looks like, then you can figure out who's going to do what. But the default of many companies is, 
people. Sales does this, marketing does this, they do this task. So are you seeing, and what I'm trying to get, and it sounds like we're on the same page is, you know, the new, the founders to think differently, think about the process. You can always figure out who's going to do the tasks, but get the tasks right. Are you seeing more of that? Finally? I see that people want to, right? Okay, there is a yeah. desire to, everybody wants their business to run optimally. What you're hinting at, and I would love to say this, right? As a founder, as you are growing and maturing people into processes and ultimately you know, leveraging technology to automate some of this, that first piece that we haven't really talked about is being customer-centric. Everything that we do in running the business has to impact the value your product or services gives your customer. So we talk about it as thinking from the outside in. Okay. Like and it. processes are there to make the business run certainly, but what's the end real goal, right? To sell a product or service to a customer. And you were talking about the larger companies and I've spent time with them and I'm spending some time with them right now. When a business has been around for 50 years or more, and we start looking at process and taking things apart and we find that there are checklists and there are process maps and there are procedure documents and there's all this stuff. And in all of that stuff, when you ask the individual employees, why are you doing this specific thing? right? It's how I was trained. It's the way we've always done it. It's going to happen. These phrases are going to come up and that's great. But if you stop and say, okay, if we're thinking exclusively from our customer's perspective, what is it they want from us? They want to buy a product. They want to procure a service because it adds value to their life in some way, shape or form. Okay. For my tasks, these 20 things, these 250 things, whatever it is, how are these things making it easier for us to get our product or service to our customer? And earlier in the year, I was working with a team and they had their process to deliver their new product or service to their end customer took 20 weeks. And it was a painful 20 weeks for the customer. Customer hated it. They wanted it. And they wanted to make a phone call and say, I need this now. Right. Not a realistic expectation. There was, there's time needed for this to happen, but 20 weeks versus that phone call, right? There's an opportunity. Sure. When we reworked everything and pulled it all the way back to in each step, asking how was this getting us closer to delivering to the customer? We took 20 weeks and we made it four. And in that scenario, in that story, it has a lot to do with an old company that solved problems by not getting back to the real, they were solving for symptoms, not problems. Right. It happens. Sure. But once we dedicated the team to focus on, I don't care what we do today. Today is not working. Our customers aren't happy. If we had a magic wand and we could start all over, what would that look like? So we got 20 weeks down to four on paper. It will take two years for that company to realize that efficiency gain because of the complexity of systems and things that flow through it. But now there's a roadmap right. and there are incremental steps along the way that will make a difference. 
and they can tell the story to their customers that we heard you, we understand that what's going on today isn't adding value, and here's our roadmap, and here's how we're gonna get to getting you the best experience, right? This is a customer experience we can offer. And throughout this process, we will continue to listen to you, take your feedback and put it in because now not only are we, we hear the large complaint, we've learned that we need to continuously improve this forever. So there may be a point in time that four weeks becomes two weeks. It will never just be, I need it now. That's not, you know, it's just not doable, but right. They can continue to whittle down and, and be better and better and better. Yeah. And that's such a powerful lesson, especially this day and age with more and more digitization coming. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I encourage startups is look for those companies that take you know, 20 weeks to, to deliver that product. Cause guess what? There's going to be a startup that's going to come out and figure out how to do it in two weeks or a week by the time it's over. And in a lot of cases, these older companies are not going to be able to make that pivot. They just, they're not going to, it's just, there's too many silos. There's too many things mm -hmm. going on. So kudos to this one for making it, but. Well, and it is one of those really big ginormous things that can't turn quickly, even with the best of intentions, the engine, it's too yeah. much. But seeing those experiences in those large enterprises, right, drove the creation, right, of my company, of L Cubed and what we're doing, but it also starting to have these conversations and taking these lessons from these really large multi-billion dollar companies and trying to distill learnings to founders and CEOs who are growing businesses. That really was the, you know, the reason that I wrote Future Proofing Cubed was to start taking some of these really powerful, time-tested best practices and distill them down into pieces and nuggets that a founder can say, oh, this makes really good sense to me. I may only have 10 people, but if we start doing it right now, when we have 100, I'll have learned from others and I will have learned from the pain of others. And within the book, there's there are tremendous stories from CEOs and founders who are kind of sharing their story and we sort of bounce it against adaptive transformation as sort of an armchair quarterbacking thought exercise. They, they are not all my clients. And that was a choice that I wanted to make was to show kind of how you do that. Right. But there's also a tremendous amount of content in the book that really is for the founder to think. There's questions, right? These are questions that, you know, talk about strategically, you know, what is it you're trying to accomplish with this company? How does that translate down to the operations? How does that translate down to the day-to-day -day tactics of doing work? And seed that thinking so that a larger audience can leverage knowledge and experiences and lessons learned from, you know, big companies from, you know, version or larger cross-section of industries right see that there are themes yeah no and i think learn right learn from these companies that it's you know learning. one of the things i throw out quite a bit is man if these companies were built more than 15 years ago especially in the b2b bc is already kind of adapted but you know they're not built for today's customer and so you know startups have an advantage right they're not stuck in the way we've always done it in, in process and which kind of leads to my next question that we kind of 
said, all right, the change management people thing is important. You know, you can bring in somebody to help you with that. You start to get kind of document key tasks and activities that you're having. Now, how do I kind of formalize it? And I'm just curious, you've seen from best practices that it's something you hire internally, is it somebody you bring in part-time or do you partner with somebody or all the above? <laughs> but I'd love to get your perspective as we're starting to grow. I want to do this right. And it's not something you can do, I'm guessing, you know, every week out of, you know, a quarter to try to do it. It's just got to become part of the routine, right? It needs to become part of the routine. That's, you know, a good way of, of starting it. So there's probably a person or two in the organization who is just that sort of process organized mindset. There's always somebody who has that brains right. are just made that way. They can start to have, you know, that responsibility of once a quarter, twice a year, we talk about these things and we talk about what's working. We talk about what's not working right? Lessons learned, having times to really just think about those things. I would see that as that idea of being focused on continuous improvement, right? Always wanting to take the time to look at what is happening and how we want to make it better. In a startup and an emerging company, is that monthly, quarterly, twice a year, your team will sort of find that cadence that fits, if you do it too often, it becomes a burden. If you don't do it enough, you don't learn as fast. You know, there's some trial and error if you're doing it by yourself. As the company matures, there's also that opportunity to hire somebody whose sole focus is that. That stage means you probably have maybe 100 to 200 employees to make that worthwhile, okay. to you, right? You, you need enough processes to warrant a salary or, you know, a full-time pay out to a person to do it. There are also companies, obviously I'm one of them that can come in and understand what's going on in your environment and align it and get you staged. And then we can come in on a quarterly basis, once a year, twice a year, right? And, and drive that continuous improvement experience while people are getting familiar with it and building it in. With that, we can take that one person that I, you know, might just kind of be wired that way and we can teach them the skills and build their capabilities so that over time they really grow into being that person for the company. And, you know, if the company is now going from 10 million and the growth cycle takes them to 15, maybe you need two people. Right. You just, you know, there's watching and learning and, and gauging, but the first step in it doesn't have to be huge. Right. We talked about it. Just yeah. write down what people are doing. And then, kind of, you know, this analogy doesn't work right now, but you know, typically I would say everybody takes their list and sequences it down the conference room table. Right. And you just put them all in order and you go through. And so now we have to go, I guess, around the room on our, in our virtual interactions. But, you know, you, you can test these things pretty easily with, you know, just the understanding of I want to understand what you do and how you do it how that impacts the next person downstream and just walk through that. And somewhere in there, somebody's going to say, you know, every month I need this set of information so that I can do this report. And every month I have to go 10 different places to try and get it. Why can't it just show up in my inbox on the 15th? Right. Boom. Huge efficiency gain. Which is so important. And I'm going to go back to, 
something you said, I don't know if it was a throwaway line or if this is kind of built into it, but you said people into process, then automate, right? I, which I love that because we kind of talked about technology is not a silver bullet, but way too often I see startups, they either get some funding or cash and all of a sudden they buy, you know, Marketo and nothing wrong with Marketo, but if you're a 10 person startup, you don't need that complexity. And I think that's one of the benefits. I think you, you talked about the benefit of the process with customer experience, right? So if you're building this from outside in, the customers are going to get the benefit. You're going to see it. But two, without the process, you can't automate, which again, customer benefit and company benefit because it's going to be much, much more cost efficient. It's amazing the number of companies, large, small, that just want to implement the technology, but they don't go through the process of process. Right. So let, let's give that a, a couple of minutes, right? So people process, then technology. I believe that that is a sequence. It's a sacred sequence. If you start with technology, one of two things are going to happen. Six months down the line, you're going to think that the technology sucks and that it doesn't work because you didn't have process to automate. Another way that that manifests is the technology comes in and you morph your entire operating business process to fit the way that that system was designed and configured. Right. It may not be designed and configured to do business the way that you want to. Technology solves for automating repeatable process. That is the core function of software systems. I come from the technology side. I spent better part of 20 years in that mindset, and we lose sight of the reality that the technology systems enable business process. And an implementation happens, it does what it was designed to do, but what it was designed to do does not support how your business operates. And then you have just spent large sums of money on things. Marketa is a great example of a system that is probably way too big for what you need. So going back to the equation, people process, then technology, start up with technology systems. They find a free or low cost CRM. They find a free or low cost ERP. And for those founders who are going through those first growth cycles and maybe getting that first layer of seed funding, right. don't buy new technology. Invest in understanding what your processes are defining them and using the technology you have to enable those processes. More often than not, what you already have can be configured to do what you need it to do. And frustration in the user community with the technology has more to do with not knowing what you wanted the technology to do and not training people how to use it once you've configured it than a failure of the technology itself. In the growth cycles, the time will come to bring in the more robust and more powerful systems, but you don't need to buy a Ferrari the first time you buy a car. Right. As much as we'd want to. <laughs> as much fun as it would be. But if you are a newly licensed driver and we put you in a Ferrari, would you be able to drive that vehicle the way it was designed to be driven? No. Would you likely wreck it? <laughs> And what is the sunk cost in that equation, right? So, you know, a starter car or a starter technology, they, they're out there for reasons. Right. And you can grow through them as your experience grows. Yeah, such good advice. And make sure I'm going to highlight that, you know, if you're new founders and you seed money, 
don't buy technology. <laughs> I know the technology companies will hate it, but it's so true. I mean, it's to your point. And I think even the technology companies you know, would support the idea that you need to know what it is you want to use that technology for. Yes. And how you want to use it so that it can solve that problem. Their technology is good. It's, it's very good. We need it, but we need it at the right time in the right place. And it isn't magic. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think this is actually a good time to turn it back into, you know, the people side of it, at least for me, I'm curious <laughs> to get your perspective because now you're starting to bring technology, right? Which is going to automate. And we talked about how change to people can be scary and you're getting bigger, your job may change or you're not going to be as valued. And I guess my, my question to you is where as is that it on each of the individual leaders that, that have teams, their responsibility to be able to do that? Because I know a lot of leadership teams don't possess that, I don't know if it's the ability or capability or knowledge right. to do that. So how, how do you recommend companies, you know, I mean, I get it when you're the founder, you're bringing a couple of people, you got your unicorn employees, you can handle them one-on-one. Well, let's say you're now at the next round of scaling. You do have a layer of management. It could easily get lost at this point as you're scaling. So what are your recommendations on how growing businesses should approach that? The simple statement is the tone starts at the top, right? There's no way around that. The tone starts at the top. Is the top a founder? Is it a CEO? Is it a C-suite? Is it a, you know, a leadership team? it applies holistically there, right? It's still coming from the top. If you have leaders who then have, you know, organizations underneath them, there's that one tone at the top that says, this is what we're going to do. I, here is our corporate culture. This is how we conduct ourselves. This is how we behave. And then that translates down to that next level, level of leadership. And it needs to go down to each individual employee. And you need to test over time, is the message at the top being heard and received throughout the organization, down and out, to each individual employee? And is it being received and processed to mean what you said oh, at the top? Yeah, so true. Right? So think about the, you know, the childhood game of telephone. I whisper something into your ear and you whisper it and it goes around a room and what comes back is never what it and you know it started out to be and if it is there's somebody in that chain who fixed it right who heard something that didn't quite make sense and took it back to what they thought it was supposed to be it's great if you have those little translators in your organization but it's hard and so again those are things that you need to test on a quarterly basis twice a year pulse surveys whatever open forums town halls if there's, you know, 10 of you in the company, once every couple of months, you sit down and you have lunch together and you talk about what's going on to ensure that that tone at the top translates down and out, even if it's only 10 people. 10 people is still easy, more easily controlled than 100, than 1,000, right? And so if you start having that cadence of interaction early, it's something that you're building into the culture and the DNA. It becomes scalable in its own right as long as you are respectful and continue to do it even as you get bigger and the tone you know from a marketing function versus a supply chain function is going to mean different things right to those teams but they need to understand what it means at that highest level and then what that function is adding to it to actually get things done right so 
there's a strategy and then there are objectives and in each of those objectives they will be different by the business function but at the end when you look at it and push it back out you need to be able to say i did these things to achieve whatever that was at the top and i know what i'm doing what's in it for me i know what my work means you know i know what being competent will mean for me in the future being competent and capable so it all starts at the top yeah, no, it makes so much sense. And, you know, we could have another episode of just on communication and, and all that, that, those good things. And, but I do want to be respectful of your time before I get to my final two questions. Any more advice for founders that we may not have touched on today that you want to make sure that you get out? I guess this last piece is really, right, we're recording this in our pandemic world. Correct. This is, you know, messages and lots of things we've talked about today are universal. But one of the themes that I'm hearing right now, and we all need to be aware of it, right? The lines between work and life have blurred as we are at home. And it is really important to carve out and make finite lines between the two. We need to stop. We need to let our employees and encourage our employees to stop and walk away from work and rest and recharge the time that we've lost commuting and listening to music for you know 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it is in each direction, those hours have become work hours and we need to be cognizant of that and we need to take care of our people. And we need, to, the first way to do that is by taking care of ourselves. Yeah, hundred percent agree. And you know, I think you're right. The pandemic has forced people to really look at their work and life balance and to separate and, Communication, the way we manage people, again, a whole nother podcast, but, you know, focus on the outcomes of what you're asking folks to do and let them manage their time. And if you don't trust them to manage your time, you probably don't have the right person, but you've probably seen either on Instagram or Twitter or wherever I've seen it, but, you know, creative ways that employees are, make it look like they're logged in and busy with somebody putting their mouse on a Roomba as it yeah. goes around. And I'm like, man, they're working harder to get out of work <laughs> mm -hmm. than actually doing the work you want them to do. So I think that goes back to change of mindset and change management and even more important now with established orgs. But again, startups have an opportunity to get out in front of this curve. They do. Last two questions, you know, what's next, you know, for you, what's next for the team here in the next, you know, two or three months, hopefully at some point we'll see <laughs> the end of the pandemic and yeah, who knows at this point, but just curious what, what you're working on now. So right now we're working, I'm working on this, having these conversations, getting the story out to a larger audience, sharing the idea of, you know, future-proofing your business, right? It is actually possible to use these tools that we've been talking about to manage and you know go through growth cycles it also has you know benefit right now in the pandemic where we weren't growing but we were how do we survive it all of these things have played in you know a part for for clients beyond that it is doing good work and helping our clients grow and helping them be more effective and efficient and in putting all of this to work but for me right now, it's having conversations like the ones that we're having so that there are people out there who can hear that there are ways to do things that are 
you know, they are systems, they are tested, they are time honored, and they will make a difference in their growth, in the growth of their company and their business. Yeah, hundred percent. It doesn't have to be scary. It's, you know, nope. we kind of talked walk, jog, run, right? It's you yep. just got to put that first foot forward. So, and my last question, which I ask everybody that comes on the show is what is one thing that you would highly recommend? And it could be personal or business or just something that's really on top of mind for you right now. Right. So I mentioned that taking time and separating work and life for founders and business owners and leaders, some of that time you take is for you to think, right? Turn everything off and just think, you know, what are those voices in the back of your head babbling on about? Understand what they are. Keep a list of them. What are your aspirations for your business a year from now, five years from now? Keep a list of those things and look at them and take time to say, I want to attack number eight because number eight really probably is number one because it's top of mind. It's the thing that wakes me up in the middle of the night and go, I really, right? Listen to your inner voice and your, your gut and take the time and give yourself an hour every week where you just block out that time to shut the door, turn off your devices and think. We are so focused on action and sometimes we do, and I believe in taking action rather than doing nothing. Thinking time is the most important investment you can make in your business and in yourself to be a, a successful founder and leader. Such good advice. And what I really like about that is, you know, we've had folks talk about meditation, which I keep, it's on my bucket list, but it's been on my bucket list for two years, but it doesn't have to be a meditation. Just take that hour to think about, right, without distraction free, which I think is the key. And it's just so beneficial. So, no, I love that. Yeah. And it could turn into meditation, right? For some people, I am not one of them. I cannot clear my head and, and, and just be my head. There's always something. Right. But if I let it happen and let it come out and I do it with you know pen and paper because it's more natural and it's not in front of the screen, right? You know, one or two things that'll just sort of pop out and might not deal with them this week, but in a couple of weeks they may have percolated, right? A little bit more fully baked in the back of my head and I can do something with those ideas. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. And, and Lisa, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. Highly encourage everyone in the audience to check out your new book, Future Proof and Cubed. <laughs> the cute part throws me off, but it makes perfect sense after we've had the conversation. And I think it's a great read for you know, businesses, any leaders of any size. But as you're looking to scale your business, man, you've got a real opportunity to avoid some of the mistakes, right? Not reinventing the wheel and build in some of the process and the approach that you talk about into it. So I'm assuming Amazon, anywhere you find your favorite books, we can find it, correct? It is exclusively on Amazon. Okay, nice. Yeah, no, easy access. I love it. Amazon's one click purchase. So, (laughs) And if more people want to reach out and find out, learn more about you, connect with you, what's, what's the best place for people to find you? The easiest way to find me is Lisa L Levy.com. Trying to keep it simple. Yeah, I like it. And we'll put everything in the show notes, a link to the book. We'll put the link to your website and people can highly recommend or 
you know, advise people to reach out to you and have the conversation and see if there's something that you can do to help. But there it doesn't have to be super the- scary, but you got to start, right? Yeah, there is a link on the website to schedule time. So I am accessible and would love to have conversations. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Lisa. It was my pleasure to have you on the show. We'll have to come back. I think we could we could go dig deeper into a couple other topics and spend a little bit more time. But love it. yeah, we'll circle back and best of luck. Stay healthy and we'll catch up with you in the near future. Thanks so much, Brett. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks. Thanks.